0: as soon as like something in life gets stressful it becomes so easy to just like default to your worst self.
1: (laughs) Welcome to the Multiamory podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And
0: I'm Dedeker.
2: We believe in looking to the future of relationships not maintaining the status quo of the past.
0: So whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you.
1: On this episode of the Amory podcast, we're talking about managing stress in your relationships. We're going to be talking about how external stress can negatively impact your relationships, a specific formula to follow for having stress-reducing conversations with your partner, as well as some things to maybe watch out for so that you don't turn into your partner's therapist or vice versa. Uh, so right now, at the time that we're recording this, things are pretty stressful. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Many people have lost their jobs, uh, at least temporarily, if not longer. A lot of people are either cooped up with a partner they don't normally spend this much time with, or they're separated from partners that they're used to getting to see. So now is a time where it's paramount to find ways of managing all of this external stress in your relationships. So we're going to arm you with some tools and things that will help you with that anytime you're experiencing external stress in your relationships.
2: Yeah, so I don't think the three of us need to sit here and define what stress is and how it affects our mood. I know for myself, it definitely, I I have heard from a lot of patrons of ours, like, you know, people are having sort of freak out or big emotional moments on almost a daily basis. I know for the three of us, we've talked about like at least on a weekly basis, we've been having these sort of big emotional uh, maybe meltdowns at times or just... Uh, exertion or, you know, throwing out of emotion to a degree. I definitely am myself. But with this, we kind of want to just talk about like that we're putting an emphasis on external stress in our lives. Uh, so stress or stressful things that are occurring outside of our relationships. And some of these tools might not work if you're applying it to like relationship-related stress. So just bear that in mind that right now we're li- we're talking about that external stress that happens.
0: Yeah. So if right now your primary source of stress is from inside of your relationship, I recommend that you listen to the rest of this podcast and I mean all the other episodes episodes to (laughs) maybe start to see if there's something that might help in alleviating some of that inner relationship stress. Mm -hmm. So while I was researching this, I came across something called, oh boy, it's called the Holmes... Rah, Rahi, Rahi. Rahi? It's Holmes. Okay, it's it's Holmes, like Sherlock Holmes, dash, R A H E, Ray, Rahi, Rahi. Maybe Rah. Ray? Ray?
1: Ray? I'm gonna go with Rahi. So go with Rahi? No, I'm gonna say Rahi.
0: Okay. Jace has spoken. <laughs> <laughs> I came across this thing called the Holmes Rahi Stress Scale. And it's a tool for identifying specifically non relationship related stress in your life. And now, the people who developed this scale, Holmes and Holmes good old Holmes and good old Rahi. Are you uh, sure it's not they, just one
2: person named Holmes Rahi? No, I'm pretty no, sure it's, it's two it, people.
1: It's okay, a joint okay. effort. Yeah. Okay, all right. Doctor Holmes and Doctor Rahi, most likely. Yeah, <laughs> I was
0: saying, Yeah. So these doctors, Holmes and Rahi, who <laughs> developed the scale they encourage people to go through the scale with their partner um and it's basically like they have a big old long list of like potentially stressful things they assign some point values to each stressor they have you kind of go through circle tally it up at the end at the end you get rewarded by um you get to check and see what your what your chances are of developing a stress-related illness wow so it's a super it's a super fun game um (laughs) that's like going (laughs) on google and like looking up your symptoms it's like am i
2: going to get cancer or something yeah
0: so i don't necessarily uh want to recommend people to do this this portion of the game because i don't necessarily agree with how they assign certain point values to things you know and it's all it's kind of more art than science really but what struck me was looking through their list of potentially like stressful things i just wanted to give some examples from the list. because, of course, they have the big ones like the death of a loved one or losing a job. Um, they didn't have Global Pandemic on there, but I'm sure it would be on there if they thought of it at the time. Um, but they included it's going be such, on there now. Yeah, but they included things like uh, having sexual difficulties or switching to a different line of work uh, or your child moving out. Um, a partner either starting or stopping work outside of the home um, a minor change in your sleeping or eating habits even going mm. on vacation stuff like that I love um, that
1: they put vacation as yes. a source of stress cuz I'm like yes it can 100% be. absolutely Oh they
0: put yeah. Christmas time on this list
2: Oh
1: totally <laughs> yeah I think
2: yeah. like yeah. any
0: big family gathering like
2: Thanksgiving <laughs> right,
0: right. yeah uh-huh And so I mean this is just a small list of examples I wanted to read those out because what struck me was these are all things that don't automatically come to mind when we think about external stressors. You know, I think our minds go to the big things like moving locations or switching jobs or, or things like that. And I think especially right now, when there's like this big, big global stressful thing happening, it's really easy to tell ourselves, oh, we really shouldn't be stressed about the small things, you know, and we really shouldn't be letting this get to us. But in reality, like, it's okay to feel stress, even with these relatively small changes.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that, that any kind of change is a source of stress. And so if there's been a change in your routines or your work or anything, that's big, right? That's not just like a little thing that actually is one of, one of the more stressful things that a person can go through. Actually, like I've heard moving, is actually one of mm. the most stressful things someone can go through. And it's funny cause we don't often think of it as stressful. Cause at least for me, when I think of what stress means, you kind of picture like fretting over a decision or like waiting for some specific thing to happen that you don't know how it's going to work out. But in reality, stress is more about this kind of um, not like not feeling peaceful, like kind of constantly Mm -hmm. reacting to something new or not having your expectations met. Like these are things that actually contribute chemically to stress. And so something like moving or changing your routine is actually a very stressful thing. Um, so yeah, exactly. So I think things like that of just being in closer quarters to someone than you were before when couples move in together, uh, just in general, that's actually a huge stressful thing. And people tend to ignore that that's a stressful thing that they're doing.
2: Yeah. Thinking about what's happening right now. And for myself, like my entire routine is just completely gone from what it usually is because Mm. I spend so much of my time I I work like 15 miles away from where I live. So, and I'm in Los Angeles. So, I spend so much time every day like in the car driving to a place. And as stressful as that can be, it also has become like a part of my daily life that I'm just very used to. Mm -hmm. And, you know, listening to my podcasts in the car or whatever. Now, I listen to my podcasts while walking every day because I'm trying to like get out and get you know, into the sun and see the light of day and stuff every day. And so, yeah, just having a big routine shift, I think, is so uh, it it can be so stressful, which is fascinating, Um, even not being able to, like, go and see people in the way that one used to. Like, I avoid so many people on the sidewalk and everyone's just kind of walking around each other instead of coming together in a way that we used to. And I, I do wonder, like, is that kind of going to become the new normal now?
1: Well, and I think you also pointed out something really interesting about this, which is where if you described to someone in the abstract, oh, my life has just changed where I used to be commuting for two hours in L.A. traffic every day and now I'm not they would go, oh, wow, you have so much less stress in your life now.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The opposite seems to be true for whatever reason.
1: Right. And I think it can actually lead to a lot of us feeling guilty about feeling Mm. stressed because it's like, oh, I shouldn't be. I should be less stressed now. Um, But it is a change. It is. Well, yeah. And
2: I mean, going to that job afforded me things that I... Can't do because I don't have that
0: income now.
2: Well, that too, you know, yeah. and right, that that, that to changes me is a changes huge in one. income. Yeah, yeah, changes
0: in income was, was also on their list on yeah. the you know the doctors mm. Holmes and Rahi list. And I'm sure a lot of people are going through stresses. that now. Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah.
2: A, as of recording, rent is due tomorrow, and I'm sure a lot of people don't know how they're going to pay it, and that's pretty right. horrifying.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, you know, just kind of wanted to go over this list to let people know that it's it's really arguably any level of change has the opportunity to produce some kind of stress. And that doesn't mean that we all need to aspire to be like Zen as fuck and like not react to any change whatsoever. Um, I mean, you can aspire to it if you want to. I know I do, but
2: (laughs) (laughs) for better or for
0: worse. Yeah. Yeah. But even the little things can throw you off and it can be an opportunity for, you know, being able to manage those things together with the help of a partner.
2: Yeah. So we wanted to talk about stress management and chaos because how you and your partners manage external stress together is very critical within your relationship. Um, we found someone, Neil Jacobson, who's a psychiatrist, and he researched marital discord, uh, which is what the New York Times calls <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs>
0: that's what I thought was funny. So Neil Jacobson is a researcher that often gets cited by the Gottmans, actually. He's uh, not a course. Gottman researcher. He just did research that I think they really respect and admire. Um mm. And it was funny. I, I was looking up his stuff, and actually, I found his obituary—or uh, not quite his obituary, but like the New York Times did like a write-up of, of him and his work—because um, he died like in the early two thousands. And it was okay. just funny that their their title was like, "Yeah, a psychiatrist who researched marital discord." And <laughs> I just found it funny. <laughs>
2: That's very in New York Times. I love it. Yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah, he he researched marital marital discord and also marital therapy, and he found that there was this correlation between external stress and how likely a couple was to re relapse. That's an interesting word to use. Um, So relapse or completely disregard the tools that they had gotten in therapy, which, yeah, I I mean, definitely. (laughs) I think this is one that people are, it's very easy for a lot of couples to do this. So those couples who had a difficult time managing external stress and helping to reduce stress with each other, they were much more likely to relapse in their relationship in terms of like disregarding those tools that they had gotten through therapy.
0: Yeah. So I recently learned that specifically when it comes to like couples therapy and marital therapy and stuff like that, relapse is a huge issue
1: Hmm. actually.
0: Um, I mean to put it in perspective, like relapse is an issue in a lot of different modalities and medical modalities, you know, um, It's not just in, like, therapy and stuff like that, but specifically in couples counseling, like, relapse uh, has a higher – it's a higher percentage chance that, like, people are going to relapse more so than in other therapies and things like that, and – it, I mean, it makes sense on its surface that like as soon as like something in life gets stressful, it becomes so easy to just like default to your worst self, <laughs> really, Sure. Yeah. you know, and to not have the bandwidth to like apply the tools that you may have learned from your therapist or to apply the tools you may have learned from this podcast or whatever.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, it's like I think with anything where you're trying to change your behavior or the change, the way that you respond to something is that you might figure out a way to do that change. And in the one situation you're in, maybe your current routine, maybe your current social group, whatever it is, you're able to do it. But as soon as those things change, or there's this extra level of stress, that's when you just revert back to the behavior that you were used to before. Yeah. Do you have
0: any personal experience with this, Jace?
1: Um, I mean,
0: sorry to put you on the spot. (laughs) He's
1: like, whoa, okay. Um, this isn't exactly the same, but for me, it often has to do with sleep actually that, um, I know that for me, when I'm not getting enough sleep, I tend to be a lot more anxious. I tend to get a lot more, um, depressed, a lot more upset and, and just kind of easily affected by everything. Like I kind of think of it like becoming more, more exposed to the elements as it were.
2: Mm, Oh, for sure.
1: Um, and it's something that i'm i'm well aware of i know this about myself i've known this for many years and when i'm good about it it's really good but i will tell you this past couple of weeks i just it's been really hard for me to get myself into a routine of actually going to bed early enough and yet my body still wakes up early mm. and so i've definitely been having to try to like do things to force myself to get to sleep earlier to find a new routine where I can do that. Um, And for me, you know, this, this coincided with also changing locations and my routine changing up and, you know, there's a lot of, and being totally alone in this house for at least a couple of weeks, right? That there's been a lot of changes that have just sort of thrown off my normal rhythm of things. And I noticed that a lot, actually, since I travel a lot, every time I go to a new place, that change kind of, it's like I have to re-figure out how to get a good sleep schedule. So so that's that's kind of an example there. Um, And what's interesting about this whole concept of, you know, a change gets thrown at you and suddenly you fall back into your routines, this is something that the Gottman Institute also researches with couples, where in addition to stress, they also look at something that they call chaos. Um, And I really want to make the term the chaos quotient a thing to describe sort of the level of chaos oh, yeah? in your relationship.
0: But uh, okay, we've already had an argument about this. <laughs> just oh, the listeners know. surprise. Um, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> the problem with calling it the chaos quotient is then quotient implies that there's a number figure yeah. attached to this.
1: Oh and yeah, no. Well, really. we just haven't developed that quiz yet. I say, but so look, you if,
2: want you want a
1: number to be attached to it, right? There's the Holmes-Rahe Stress Scale. There's yeah. going to be the Winston Lindgren Matlack uh, chaos, <laughs> chaos Quotient, quotient <laughs> Scale. Yeah, <laughs> wow. we <We'll get>
0: <laughs> I love it. Uh, yeah. So chaos is interesting. This is something I didn't really learn about until I started doing specifically like the Gottman's training for people who like work with couples and things like that. And so. When they assess couples for chaos, it's not just looking at what kind of stress people are dealing with. It's looking at how the people in the relationship actually perceive those stressful events. So, for instance, like couples who are ranking high in chaos, they may show signs of. Things like feeling like they're just completely out of control and always reactive to everything that's happening to them in life, um, feeling powerless to problem solve things, uh, feeling like it's just impossible to find a routine or come back to solid ground, you know, after a stressful event has happened or even in the midst of a stressful event happening. Um, the Gottmans talk about. This idea of couples couples in high chaos slipping into what they call passive endurance, which is this idea of like, we're just resigning ourselves, things are always going to be hard, nothing's going to change. And so we're just going to try to white knuckle our way through as best as we can, um, mm-hmm. without yeah. trying to change it, without trying to make it better, without trying to connect to each other. Like we're just going to have to like power through, um, and as you can expect that, like, in their studies, couples who scored high in chaos are much more likely to split up than couples who don't.
1: Yeah, that it reminds me, reminds me of a concept I learned about in, um, in college in my psychology course. where We talked about having an internal locus of control or an external locus of control, that this high chaos to me also sounds similar to what you would describe someone who has a high external locus of control which is essentially a, a belief or a perception that more things are out of your control than actually are hmm. versus someone who's too far on the internal locus of control who thinks they have more control over things in their life than they actually do uh you know hmm. those are kind of a balance there but it seems like this high chaos also describes a high external locus of control perception of the world yeah
0: um, yeah that's really interesting it's like this kind of thing where at the end of the day, you know, the 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 sphere of like what any of us can control versus what we can't control, I feel, ends up being relatively universal, relatively. Like, of course, your relative level of like privilege and and where you're born in the world and stuff is maybe going to change that a little bit. But I feel like if we're getting super reductive and just kind of looking at world averages as a whole, it's like we know that we generally have an understanding that like I can control uh, like maybe... Gosh, now I can't even think of anything that I can control. I must be high (laughs) chaos right now.
2: Well, I think most people are. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. You can control what you eat for breakfast and when you wake up in the morning, to a degree. Right, to a degree. When you go to to bed at night. Yes. Yeah. But I. Yeah. If you're going to do this podcast today or not, (laughs) you (laughs) know. But we can't control a global pandemic.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, however it is interesting that there is something about like that level of perception that does change with people. And, and I know that there's also been studies on like external locus of control versus internal locus of control and how that relates to like one's mental health Mm -hmm. and like kind of the influence that it has on one's mental health. Um, but yeah, I definitely find like what I see when I'm working with couples and, When I'm first getting to know them, and I'm kind of like looking out for what kind of chaos quotient they might have. Oh, that makes me sound so clinical. I don't want people. That's okay. That's all I'm caring about. But it is interesting that I will sometimes see couples who have what I would call, from the surface, very "quote unquote" chaotic lives, as in like. Bunch of kids, all of them in different extracurricular activities, we're all hustling at our jobs, you know, sometimes the money doesn't come through the way that we wanted it to, like, and we're dating other people, you know, at the same time that like logistically looks chaotic and yet they don't perceive it as chaos. Mm -hmm. Like they kind of perceive it as like, yeah, sometimes it's tough, but like we make it through it, you know, and and we're gonna do it and we're doing these things to make it feel better, versus couples that I would perceive from the outside as not having a very logistically chaotic lives who have much more of the sense of like, oh my God, like things just keep happening to us and we can't get back on our feet and we don't know how to bounce back from this. And it's always just one thing after another. And I don't say that to put any necessarily like value or character judgment on it. Um, I just think it is interesting that sometimes it's not necessarily related to how logistically chaotic or non chaotic your life actually is.
1: Right. I think that's a good point, that that the focus of chaos or external locus of control is on your perception and not on the, the day-to-day of your life, right? Because, like, j- to use a simple example uh, is, like, with Buddhist monks, that a lot of Buddhist monks live completely off of people giving them food, right? Mm. And they wander around and teach people when they can. And you look at that from the outside and go, that's very stressful. Like, you literally never know if and when your next meal is going to come, where you're going to be, how people are going to treat you, if you're going to have a place to stay during inclement weather, stuff like that. And yet a lot of people would look at a Buddhist monk and go, wow, their life is so stress-free, right? Mm -hmm. Or or they're so Zen, maybe literally (laughs) they're so Zen about the way that they approach this. So it really is about your perception of it and how you react to things and how you feel about them more than it is about what's actually happening, like how many new things are happening. Um, Something I also wanted to mention briefly, this is actually not part of our main thing here, but it's just the circles of influence and circles of control concept, Mm, um, which is, this has been around for a long time in psychology. It's something that my psychologist in college, when I was having a really, really hard time with anxiety and depression, um, he talked to me about this and it actually did help me a lot. I think it helped me more than I realized at the time. And it's been kind of a tool I've brought with me, which is essentially to imagine, um, three circles, uh, inside of each other, right? So there's one big circle and inside of that's a second circle and inside of that's a third circle. And that innermost circle is your circle of control. And these are the things that you actually have control over, right? It's like the things that you do, the things that you say, um, you know, things that you one-to-one can be like, I'm going to decide to do something different here. I'm going to do it. And then the next circle out is your circle of influence. So these are things where you don't have full control over them, but you can have an influence on them. Right. So this could be something like voting in an election or supporting your community or right. It's something where your input does make a difference. Maybe, you know, the the articles that you write influence how people think, right? You have an influence here, but you don't have full control over it. Mm -hmm. And then that third circle, the biggest one that has both of these in it is your circle of concern. And so this is basically everything inside all those inner circles also affect you. And that's this circle of concern of like, these are the things that concern me, but I don't really have control over, like the weather or the price of gas or, um, you know, who actually does end up getting elected. Like I had some influence in that, in the voting on that, but ultimately this is something that concerns me that I don't really have a lot of control over, or at least it doesn't totally. feel that way. Yeah. And, and then outside of that, you have stuff that also happens in the world, but also doesn't concern you that doesn't, doesn't affect you. Uh, that's kind of outside of all of it, but basically by thinking about it this way and evaluating the certain things that are stressing you and evaluating, like, am I thinking about this thing like it's in a circle that it's not right? Like, am I concerned about something that doesn't affect me? For example, maybe this is in the outer circle and I actually need to Mm -hmm. move this out entirely and just realize, you know what? No, this doesn't affect me. Or maybe this is something I'm concerned about and don't feel like I can influence that I could actually move into my circle of influence and I could start doing something in my community or in the world to help influence this thing. Or maybe this is something going the opposite way. This is something I think I have direct control over. And I see this one a lot in relationships, thinking I have a lot more control over my partner's behavior or decisions or, or that I should have more control over that than I do and saying, you know what? I can move this into influence, or maybe even all the way out into concern that it's not something I can influence. Uh, and by doing that, kind of letting go of some of the stress you might be carrying over things that you can't control. So, anyway, that's something I found really helpful for me.
0: Now, Jace, but what if you're someone like me and like my inner circle is just like full Gigantic? to bust in? <laughs> I was <laughs> just like full, 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 full to bust in, popping mm. out at the seams of I because I, I mean, I don't know if the two of you know this, but like, I am directly responsible for holding the world together. That's
1: true. I did know that. Yeah. <laughs> no, we
2: we knew that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, I don't know, Dedicar, you
2: Maybe you're just gonna have to let it go a little bit right now.
0: <laughs> well, I'm just saying that for those of us who have to keep the world together, maybe that exercise isn't gonna work. I'm angry. I'm leaving.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, We have another half of this episode to do. We're going to, let's see, be talking about stress-reducing conversations and more. Uh, But first, we're going to talk about ways that during this time you can help support our show so that we can continue giving it to you for free. 18 plus
1: for a long time now we've been fans of adamandeve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories things like that it's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection and now not only do we have a fantastic offer but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com which are their sites specifically for lgbtq audiences And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store and free, discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI.
2: Yes, we love AdamandEve.com and and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just...
0: That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I, at adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast, and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I.
1: All right, so now we wanted to get into some steps and an actual process you can go through for having a stress reducing conversation together. Now it would be cool if we could just give you the tools to manage all the stress and never experience it. And that would be great. But unfortunately there's, there's stress to be had out there, right? Uh, It's a little too individual to give just some general advice. That's going to help that. Um, But if we could, Boy, we would be millionaires. Uh (laughs) Uh, But what we can do is introduce you to this formula. And this comes from the Gottman Institute, who we talk about a lot on this show. But they have this formula for having a stress reducing conversation with a partner. So like during a time when you're experiencing stress, this is the process you can go through together to help each other.
0: So I will say I was initially quite resistant to this because Hmm. I'm like, I know how to have a stress-reducing conversation with my partner. I know how to (laughs) vent. I know how to be supportive. Like, what is this? I don't need a formula. Until literally the next day when I was listening to a partner of mine kind of t- decompress on his day from work. And I was just like kind of in a bad mood myself and really didn't feel like being supportive. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. Uh-huh. There's a formula for this. <laughs> I know what I have to do because if I didn't rely on this formula, I don't think I would have been very supportive and it probably wouldn't have been a very good de-stressing conversation. Mm-hmm. So well done. I say that. Yeah. To tell people don't knock it till you try it. All right. So let's set the scene. It's the end of the day. You and your partner have come together. It's been a long, stressful day, and you're ready to reconnect. How do we do it? So the first things first, it's going to be really important to make sure that the two of you take turns. Again, this may seem either obvious or unnecessary, but it is really important to make sure that each person can get a fair share of time to talk out what's going on for them. You can definitely get into situations where, Especially if one person's a spewer and one person's a chewer, Mm. you know, or one person goes off for an hour about their day and decompresses and vents, and then the other partner doesn't have anything to say, or by that time, now we're home and we're in the middle of dinner or stuff like that. So it is actually really important to make sure that both of you are defending, you know, your right to have that time with each other. And this can be informal, or you can actually set a timer. If that helps, you can be like, all right, I'm going to hit a timer for 15 minutes and now go complain, go nuts, you <laughs> know, things like that.
1: Yeah. It can yeah. be really nice to just know that you've got the time.
2: I do like that. Yeah. And when you are the speaker, just Okay, your job is to take the time to talk through what is stressing you the most right now, but also something that I'm not always great at is to remember to talk about what you're feeling and thinking, not just recounting like the events that happen. Um, It's an opportunity to show your inner world to your partner, and that can ultimately increase connection. So with our addition, we wanted to throw a little bit of Triforce of Communication in there, because before, during, and after, just try to give cues to your partner. So, like, Jace is good at this, I think. Can I bounce some ideas off of you? Can I Can I just talk through this now? <laughs> um, or saying, I just want you to tell me uh, that everything's going to be okay. Like, I'm having a hard time here. Can you just tell me that everything's going to be fine? Or I just need you to listen to me vent for a little while. Something along those lines. So yeah, when you are the speaker, remember to be very clear about what it is that you want at that particular time.
1: Now, on the other side, if you're the listener, there's three important things that you should do, and three important things that you should not do. Okay, so number one thing that you should do is show interest. I would actually take this a step further and say, actually be interested but this is you know (laughs)
0: pretend at least to be interested no 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 (laughs) but some people are interested but then like they don't necessarily outwardly show it very much that's true you know that's like jason anytime you've been at a concert literally what what do you mean? You, you've talked about this before, where you have been like, when I go to live music things, people often think that I'm not enjoying it at all, when really I, I'm very much enjoying it. I'm just like very clued in to, to like, no, literally, Jay's okay. at concerts yeah. is like stone-faced.
1: That's true. Like
0: stone-faced. <laughs> and it really looks like he's having a terrible time, when in rea- reality, you're not. At least huh. that's my impression. Is yeah, right? you're right.
1: I do. I kind of like lose myself in just like thinking about it and taking it you in lose rather yourself than... yourself in the
0: music, the moment. You
1: yes. Know. Okay. Yes. yes. Thank you. Are Rather you, than are
2: you giving us a a mile
0: eight eight mile mile? Eight. Oh my god! Okay, this is falling off. This, this, this is really okay. going off the rails. Let's
1: bring this back on track. I'm okay. sorry,
0: everyone. That so
1: you're right. That's a, that's a good yes. That's a good, uh, not quite the same thing, but yes, that my enjoy it enjoyment doesn't come through the way it does for a lot of people, which is like dancing around or whatever, that for me, it's more of a still thing. Okay. Yes. Got it. Now we're, we're done at the concert. We've come back home and now we're talking about the stress that we experienced at the concert. Uh, so as the listener is showing interest, which is things like maintaining eye contact, um, not being on your phone, ideally not even having it in your hands or anywhere near you. Uh, whenever we record this podcast, we say to each other, throw your phones in the garbage. Uh, we don't literally do that, but it's just kind of a like, yeah, out completely away. Um, and to ask questions or ask for more details, right? To kind of help of like, oh wow, really? Like then then what happened? Or how did you feel about that? Or what was that like? Questions like that. Not, well, why did you do it that way? Or why did they say that? <laughs> right. But just <laughs> what what happened? What what were the facts? And also on this side, use the Triforce, right? If they haven't clearly indicated that to you what they're looking for, you can ask, ask, yeah, do you want advice or are you looking for encouragement? Or often with things is like, well, how did you feel about that? Because maybe they want congratulations on this thing and you were gonna offer sympathy, right? You gotta <laughs> clarify, like, how did you feel about that? So I know how to support you. And do you want me to just listen or do you want me to hug you or hold you while you're talking about this, things like that. Just sort of like ask for what would be most helpful for them.
2: And when you're the listener, try to communicate understanding and empathy to your partner. So that means expressing things like, that would make me feel really stressed too, or that sounds like it would be really frustrating. And also get bonus points um, if there's an indication that you know your partner's inner world, such as saying something like, I know how much you get upset when people bail out on plans with you yeah like i know how you hate people who are super flaky <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe not that exactly but yeah it's something along those lines showing that you care about your partner and what's going on with them
0: yeah and and especially like giving that indication that like you know your partner and you know their inner world um provided that you know it accurately again it really it really, <laughs> no, I don't, it really I don't care right it really turns a, a conversation that's about stress into an opportunity to forge your connection, really, yeah, you know, that's, that's and, to, and to like help your partner be seen and feel understood, you and know, if which you, is a really,
1: if you don't know those things yet about your partner, this is an opportunity to learn them.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And then the third thing is to give affection and comfort in whatever way is most effective for your partner. So that could be touch, It could be jokes. I think that's my partner Alex's love language is just jokes. Um, (laughs) It could be words of affirmation. It could be comfort food in movies, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And bear in mind that like what you find to be comforting may not be comforting to your partner. So Mm -hmm. that's another thing you can ask about Mm -hmm. um, and ask for clarity on. So uh, again, just a quick rundown. The three things in the listener's job are to show interest Communicate understanding and empathy and give affection and comfort. So we're going to move on to the three big don'ts. No no's. <laughs> do not do these things when you're the listener. And the first one is don't side with the enemy. As in, if your partner is complaining about their boss or their friend who flaked on them or the really stressful situation at work, you know, even if you feel like your partner's complaints are unreasonable, even if you agree with whatever it is that their boss said, even if you think that they set themselves up for this, you know, it's okay for you to feel that. But right now in this context is not the time to bring that up. You know, right now you're here to be supportive. You're here to listen. You're here to seek understanding. It's not time to kind of convince your partner why they're actually the one who's wrong in that situation. Now, I say this, I'm really bad at this. Um, Hence, why I really needed this formula to remind me like, okay, this is what I do do. This is what I don't do. Okay, great. Got it. Um, Yeah, that's something I'm working on because I definitely very much notice when I'm siding with the enemy, you know, And I'm trying to be better now of like really not doing that. Like unless my partner comes to me and is really specifically like, can you tell me if I'm the asshole in this situation? Like very frankly Mm -hmm. and bluntly, maybe then I'll be like, okay, actually I do think maybe you're being a little bit unreasonable here, but I'm trying my best to stay away from, from doing things like, well, actually maybe your boss is right there. Or actually maybe if you just did this, well, there's your problem. It's because you were doing this the whole time. Like goodness, (sighs) <sighs> yeah
1: yeah it, this this one reminds me of um something of that <laughs> i know well okay i wasn't gonna say that trying to be nice <laughs> something we've talked about on this show before which i think is related is this concept of when other people are telling you about their world to mm. take it at face value and believe them uh because that's going to help you understand their experience of their world because that's what really what this conversation's about here right is how are you experiencing your world right now? Not about trying to uncover what's the absolute reality or to question their worldview or something. Like who, That's who is not, right and
0: who is wrong.
1: Right. That's not the purpose of this conversation and trying to take it there is just going to make the whole rest of this not work. Um, yeah. So going along with that, the second thing to not do is to judge your partner's emotions or stress or to minimize their emotions or stress. And I think similarly, like agreeing with the other person in their story, this could also be, oh, if that happened to me, I wouldn't feel super stressed about that. Uh, or, you know, I that seems like getting stressed about that. Something I used to do back when I was young and stupid. So like, <laughs> don't you invalidate their feelings,
2: that. basically. <laughs> right.
1: So don't, don't invalidate those feelings because you haven't had the same life that they've had, right? Mm-hmm. You haven't had the same experiences they've had. So this is going to affect them differently. So just kind of, actually be there for them in their world the way they're experiencing this right now um and Dedeker wrote this one down as don't horse
0: i love that and which <laughs> <laughs> so don't, ridiculous. don't play don't play don't the classic a basketball game horse
1: oh i see don't play horse see, i was like no horse no, so, I know horse <laughs> what, no horseplay either. No horse riding. Here, yeah, no horse riding during this. Don't ever have this conversation <laughs> on horseback. No, what we mean is uh, to don't do any of the four horsemen of the relationship apocalypse, which is stonewalling, criticism, contempt, or blame slash defensiveness. Uh, this, I think, is also part of why we're saying this particular format and structure is best for an external stress, not about stress in your relationship, because it's especially hard to listen to someone be stressed about you and not go to Mm -hmm. a place like blame or defensiveness or stonewalling or criticism or something. So that's, that's a little bit for something else. And like Dedeker said before, listen to some other episodes and there's, there's stuff to work on there too. Uh, But in this, um, you know, maybe you see yourself in the boss, or maybe you somehow feel responsible for a situation that they're talking about as an external stress. Or I know for me, I often feel guilt that I'm somehow not doing enough to help you out of this stressful situation, even if it's not something that's totally in my control or that you've asked for me to do. Um, So when someone's stressed about those, it can be tempting to go to these places of then feeling defensive or even just being having contempt because you're frustrated with them that they're still stressed about this thing or or whatever again right it's be in the moment and be here to engage with your partner and learn about their world and support them in their world not yours
0: so again just a quick review of the three don'ts that's don't side with the enemy don't judge or minimize your partner's emotions or stress and don't horse around or horse horseman <laughs> don't around. be a horse don't be a horse or a horseman Yes,
2: exactly. Yeah. So when you're having these conversations, these stress reducing conversations, it can be really helpful to check in with each other throughout them and kind of see how both of you are feeling. Like, do either of you need a little bit more from someone? Do you are you feeling understood from each other? Um, between each other and it can be really nice to take sh- turns sharing one good thing that happened during the day as well and hopefully this will like raise your endorphins or make you feel good in some way even if it's a small something like I had a really good meal today uh, I went outside and felt the breeze on my skin for the first time in a week <laughs> I don't know something along those lines um, yeah talk about those kind of things as well and hopefully it'll make both you and your partner feel better
1: Yeah, that's stress reduced. Yeah, that's a nice one to do. Like after you've both taken your turn sharing your stressful situation, is to then maybe take a quick turn with each other, maybe even do a few rounds of sharing positive things too to help kind of remind yourself. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And remember
0: to thank your partner for listening as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, do a little thank you round at the end. Yeah, Yeah. so. That's the formula that is, I think, pretty easy to follow uh, for doing, you know, stress reducing conversations with your partner. I think it's really important to have something like this in place, because I think especially for people who are cohabiting or raising kids together or running a business together, that it can be really easy for your conversations together to become stress producing conversations you know, because it right. becomes about, oh, we've got to make a decision about this thing. We've got to figure out the logistics of this thing. We've got to plan for this thing that's coming up in two weeks. And so it can be really important to make sure that you're also roping in maybe some kind of regular ritual for having specifically a stress-reducing conversation like this. Now, I think that this does beg the question of, can this go too far? Like, is it possible? favorite thing to question? Yeah,
1: I love it.
2: It? How can it? It, it? Well, you're always like, don't weaponize this shit and stuff, which <laughs> is great, which is great, but I feel uh, like this is along those same lines.
1: Yeah. Well, know? I would say almost, almost this is like, don't weaponize it against yourself. Like, don't then use yeah. this to put yourself in a negative situation.
0: Sure, 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 sure. Yeah. Okay. I, I just want to, because I do want to warn people that, like, there is a risk. I think in any relationship of like becoming your partner's therapist or you turning your partner into your therapist, Mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, I do think that turning to your partner to help each other reduce stress is a really wonderful thing. It's a great opportunity for connection, but it, it, I do think it's possible to take things too far. Like I do think there can be a dark side to this dynamic, um, that it can result in things like you feeling compelled to fix or save your partner or ending up feeling totally exhausted and depleted by the emotional labor of acting like your partner's therapist. Um, or on the flip side, feeling totally dependent on your partner for reducing your stress. Like the only thing you have that's reducing your stress is turning to your partner for these things. And right. none of those things are, I think, very good romantic, sexy dynamics to have yeah. in a
1: relationship. Hmm. Yeah. It's like there's... There's areas where that support can be nice, but when it becomes this thing of, of like, you feel responsible for this person kind of surviving their own mental world, um, that's just too much of a job for one person and not a job that's appropriate for a romantic partner. Mm-hmm. So yeah, with this then on, on the other side too, is do yourself work first or or at least also, right? Also do work for yourself. So, the most important thing to remember here is that stress response is varied and it's individual. And so it is really important for you to put in the work to get familiar with what are your stressors, what your stress response is and start the process of developing your toolkit for how you deal with stress, right? How do you personally de-stress? How do you personally adjust that. And this could be something that you do, you know, reading articles of people's techniques, listening to episodes of this podcast, finding techniques there, or this could be talking to a professional and getting help with that, um, you know, reading books on the subject. There's lots of ways you could be going about this, but this is also your responsibility to take care of for yourself and not just to rely on your partner to do all that heavy lifting for you.
2: Yeah, there are some warning signs to watch out for if you think that maybe you are becoming your partner's therapist or vice versa. Uh, One of them is that you tend to be the only person that your partner confides to about anything, or you, uh, or I'm sorry, your partner is the only person that you feel that you're able to confide to about anything. And then if you and your partner or you and your partner are struggling with clinical depression or anxiety, addiction, PTSD, or other serious issues like that. Um, and you're not seeking outside support for that. That's definitely a warning sign to watch out for.
0: Yeah. And the caveat there, specifically if it's like unmanaged depression, yeah. anxiety, addiction, PTSD, all these things, and and there's no steps being taken to manage it outside of just turning to your partner. Um, another warning sign is if the support that is given in the relationship ends up being one-sided more often than not. So, you know, one person is able to unload and vent, but they're not able to ever show up or listen when the other person needs the same, you know, that's an indication you might be actually more this person's therapist than you are their partner. Um, I have a small feminist rant related to some of this excited. Uh, It's going to be small. I promise. Um, This is just something a warning sign specifically for if you are in a heterosexual relationship um, because there's a couple of unfortunate gender d- dynamics that do come into play here. One of them being that a lot of men are socialized to like not talk about their feelings with their friends, especially their male friends, to not go to therapy. Like I think the stigma for therapy is still a little bit stronger for men than it is for women. Um, And as a result, a lot of men are kind of socially trained that the only person they can open up to is their female partner. Mm. And women, on the other hand, we're trained to do everything that we can to preserve relationships. We're trained to be in a position of service, especially to our partners. We're trained to be the ones who are listening and empathetic and compassionate. And so these two kind of not great gender dynamics that we end up with often result in women being men's therapists, like, you know, to their male partner, their male partner's therapist, like they're literally their only source, you know, and this is also seen like when people break up that like men have often a much harder time mentally and emotionally than women do because women are more likely to have other sources of that than men do. For a lot of men, it's literally like I lost my only lifeline for emotional support. So, I just want to say that just so that people are aware of it, you know, this is something that's been a part of the bigger discussion around emotional labor in relationships in general, that it's not just like helping out with family stuff or cleaning up around the house, that it also does kind of bleed into being the therapist. Um, Mm. So I just want to just want to put that bug in people's ears just so that they're aware of like, huh, maybe this is going on. And if you notice that going on in your relationships, it doesn't mean that you're bad. It doesn't mean that like the relationship's over and it's all kaput. It just means like, oh, okay, this is an opportunity for us to be aware of it, maybe call it out and then kind of seek ways to make that feel a little bit more balanced. Okay, I'm done. That's the end of my small feminist rant.
1: No, that's <laughs> Thank great. you for coming
0: yeah. to my TED Talk.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Yeah. If you want the slideshow presentation, uh, you can write in and we'll send that. (laughs) Um, So we just, so kind of in summary here, we want to remind you that it's possible to give and receive support of each other without becoming your sole lifeline. That being like finding more and more tools for supporting your partner and having them support you is great and awesome, but also isn't just like finding enough tools so that they can be the only person you need for that or that you can be the only person that they need for that, right? Whether that's family or friends or a therapist or a discussion group or a processing group or, you know, any number of things, but finding, finding a way to um, spread out those resources for support amongst a larger network is going to not only be better for each of you, but it's also going to do wonders for your relationship um, and just for your own well being.
0: Yeah. Okay. So to wrap this up, we have another question we're going to be tackling. And I think this is a question that very specifically is related to people in non traditional relationships or multi partner relationships or non monogamous relationships of some kind. So let's say we set the scene. It's at the end of the day. I'm coming together with my partner and we're only going to talk about external stressors, right? If I'm stressed out because of another relationship that I'm in, does that count as external stress that I can then process with my partner? Hmm.
1: Mm. A question
0: for the ages that we are going to be tackling in our bonus episode today. So if you're a patron, stick around for that.
1: Yay. We would also love to hear your thoughts on these stress-reducing conversations. And, you know, how are you doing with stress in your life right now? What kind of support would you like to see more of in your life? The best place that you can share those thoughts with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or Discord chat. You can get access to these groups and join our community by going to patreon.com slash Multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can also email us at info at com. Multiamory is created and produced by Dedeker Winston, Emily Matlack, and me, Jay Lindgren. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our production assistants are Rachel Schenowark and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com.
2: Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived.